It's bad. Okay, so forward. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. And then this just this is a click to play the next slide. No, because this thing's got multiple things in it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Thought it'd be good. This is okay. It's good. Yeah, she. Yeah, she's also doing it. Hey. Yeah. One two. One two. Yeah. Very very hip. Very cool. With the cap. Yeah. Hey? Full head of hair in the white suit. I never, I never, I never, I never had a full head of hair. That's the thing that you didn't realize. I don't know if anybody's introducing us or not. But I think we should just start. Okay, hello. Uh, yeah, this is the time of the day when everybody's a bit tired. And they've, they've, you're excited. Are you going to jump up and down? I feel like there's a renter crowd. Okay. Normally there's an introduction that's done by somebody, but they're not here. There's normally someone who stands up and does a fancy thing to introduce the people. So we'll introduce ourselves. For those that don't know, I'm Mike Smithwaite, currently the station manager of Voice of Vits. We're broadcasting live here in case you missed that fact. And we're based here at Vitz, so it's our home turf. And this is a visitor to our world. Hi. Um, okay, so I'm Sharita van der Berg. I am the station manager of MFM, Stellenbosch, in the Western Cape, where we have the beautiful mountains. So, yes, I'm a visitor. Mountains for, for skyscrapers <laughs> and money. Okay. All right. The title of the session was given to us, by the way. We were asked to do a thing on, on, on managing volunteers. And we said, will I get paid for that? I don't like the word managing. I think it's a bad term, especially in a space in which you're dealing with people who aren't being paid for things, right? It's very hard to get people to do things when you're trying to manage them. And I'll get to that because I'll show you the problematic things that you get in the definition of management when you put it into Google. So I prefer leading as a, as a, as a sort of mantra. In fact, my station's WhatsApp group for the people who coordinate and develop and do certain other jobs in the station that require them to get paid are called leaders. And the WhatsApp group is called Leaders of Val, right? So we don't see ourselves as managers, we see ourselves as leaders. Because people who aren't being paid need to be, you need to show them the way. And the reason that I say that is because this is what you get if you type it into Google, right? The process of dealing with or controlling things or people. Okay, well, People aren't slaves, they're not mechanical, and so that approach is going to cause some serious problems, right? The second thing is say the people managing a company or organization regarded collectively, right? Okay. The responsibility for and control of a company or organization, how is that one person or two people or three people's responsibility? Every single person inside of an organization is managing an element of your business. And if you don't recognize that, you've got a problem. They are all responsible for different facets or parts of that particular puzzle. And the thing about it is that most organizations that have this hierarchical structure where they say managers, this middle order, and the people who mean nothing, because that's generally the mantra, generally have less productivity from their human capital than those which approach a more horizontal sort of philosophy towards their kind of operational running of their business. So I have a problem with that. The second one, the last one, is the treatment or control of diseases or disorders and the care of patients who suffer them. Right? This is what management means. Now, we do deal with people who have disorders in the radio business. 
they're normally personality disorders and various other things. But it's also not really, you know, something I want to be associated with. So, right, we're talking about these spaces in which we deal with people who don't get paid. They're transitional spaces. They're spaces in which people come in and out of them in a cyclical, on a cyclical basis. Guys come in for a year, three years, four years. Some overstay their welcome. And we call them postdocs, right? Now, postdocs are these people who kind of started at 18, got a degree, then were like, ah, I don't want to go in the real world. I'll do a master's. Then they do, <laughs> then, 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 then they kind of go, yeah, it's getting real. I need to get a job. Okay, I'm going to hang around a bit longer, right? Now they get to 28, 29, 30, and they're still at campus radio, right? Reality needs to hit home at that stage. You either need to leave and go do something else with your life, or you need to focus and harness your skills and move into the commercial space, the public broadcaster, or somewhere else in the media space, right? And for some, it's the reality that they've been on air for like six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. And they haven't yet got it inside their head that they just don't cut it. They don't have what it takes to get into the A-League. Right? It's like football. You can be first team in high school. Grade 10, there you are playing first team. You get into first team at university or club level. You're in the junior structures of Orlando Pirates, of Kaiser Chiefs, Man United. And then you just don't have what it takes. You can see it when you're on the pitch. That other guy's got a second longer on the ball. He has a fraction of a little bit more pace than you have. His skill level is slightly better. And you know it, but you don't want to admit it, so you keep fighting. And eventually you're 22 and you're still trying to fight. And it gets to that point where reality has to bite, that perhaps you can still be in radio, but not on air. So transitional space. You can become one of the managers. Yeah. And then you, yeah, you can become one of the managers. Right? But that is, that is one of the realities of transitional spaces, is that it becomes very difficult when, with your human capital. You've got to get them in, you've got to skill them, and you've got to get them out. And there's a reason for that, because as people grow older and that reality of life starts to hit home, they start to see you or expect you to become their employer. And that isn't the nature of your space, because by mandate, as a campus station, our mandate is towards training and development and providing a broadcast service to a defined community. It's not towards employment. We're not an employment agency, right? That's not what we are. We do provide a media business, we run professionally, but we're not there to employ you. We're there to skill you. And so part of running with volunteers is that your human capital, right, is everybody from the person who just walked in the door to the person who's about to exit. And all of those people are in a state of transition. They're in a state of growth. They're in a state of movement. And the, 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 the tricky thing that you have to face, or what we face, is having enough at either end of the spectrum. Because if you have too many exit, you then end up with no product. And you also have no skills capacity in your organization. So when we launched Voice of Vets five years ago, there was nobody with any skill in the organization. It was everybody was starting on base level one. I was the only person who came from industry to stand there with any knowledge. And that's a problem when one person is a point of reference. So part of what it is that we do is you've got to build up your skills capacity. And I say this, train them so well that they don't need you. I don't like being called. I like it, but I don't like it. I love skilling people, but I don't want to have you come back four times. If I've done my job, I shouldn't have to worry. I should rock up here and the OB should be set up. I should walk in and the sales team should be able to give me a report. I shouldn't have to keep on continuously showing. And the people who you skill, who are about to exit to industry, should be able to be taking up that conversation with the people that I've just hired. And you have to establish a culture inside your organization where it's not hyper-competitive internally, where you feel as if I teach you something, you're going to jump me, and take my place. And in the commercial space, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Nobody tells you anything. 
and nobody helps you. You walk in there and it's like, uh, how do you do this? Sorry, dude, don't have time. No, it's not my job. And they keep on going. They know, but they won't tell you because if they tell you, they're worried that you're going to leapfrog them. And especially if you're smart, you're sharp, you're quick. You're a threat. In this space, you have to foster an environment where people don't see other people as a threat, but they know that they're in competition for certain things. So you should have a healthy culture where people say, I want to be the drive presenter, but it shouldn't be unhealthy where nobody's willing to help anyone because they don't want somebody to get there. So that's part of the skills capacity thing. And then there's resources. If you're training people, people are giving us their time in exchange for an experience and learning and skills. And if our resources are substandard in all the relevant departments, they're not at an industry level, you get to the situation where people are going, why am I here? I can never get on a computer. I can never learn how to edit. My tech team had that. They'll tell you. A year and a half ago, they were like, we never get into the studio. There's six of us, and we can never edit. We can never produce. So I built three new studios. Now they can't complain. Yeah, there's, they have to schedule their time still, but there's dedicated spaces for tech guys, which wasn't there five years ago. And it's at an industry standard. They use Pro Tools. They've got their own you know, soundproof space. In fact, Nguleleko is recording the session. He likes to play loud, loud sounds in his room. And you faintly hear them if you stand by the door. As soon as you open it, your eardrums bleed. Right? But he's got his own space, which wasn't the case like a year and a half ago. So resources are very critical. Because without resources, the people that you're busy training who came there to learn who came there to broadcast, can't do their job. And it becomes highly frustrating. Our news team had that. They were always fighting with the tech guys to get in the studio to do interviews. So you've got to keep building and growing your resources and looking at what industry players are doing, at the same time trying to innovate and convince the Neils of the world to convince his guys to use our spaces as playgrounds. So things that they're too scared to experiment with in the commercial sector to say, you know what, let's trial this on a campus station and see what happens. And if it works, we're going to implement it at our level. Because it doesn't affect the business of the campus station as badly as it could potentially affect the business of a commercial station. I'm going so, to interrupt you there yeah. quickly with that. Um, just on what he's saying at the moment, we, we actually are in such a fortunate place in a community radio station that I've had people, when I interview people, come from well-known, I'm not going to mention names now, but well-known um, commercial spaces, um, to want to come back to campus peer or community role, just purely for that playing ground so that they can think out of the box um, and not be so boxed in. So yeah. it's quite, that for me is a very big factor. It's probably the only space you're going to get to do whatever you want. And, and for me, the thing is that these spaces, that they should be skilling people so they're good enough to take a job within the commercial sector and understand the business of radio. But they should be able to start playing in this space so that the commercial sector in the future isn't what we've been hearing all day, or actually yesterday, all of yesterday, where you know, they're talking about this generic cut-and-paste content. Some of the most interesting content is happening in the community and campus environments, and it's translating that in a later date into the commercial space, where that value of content is then seen. So we've got these, these particular elements that come with the sort of, I'd say the challenges of managing transitional spaces. Right? And, and human capital is a very interesting one. Just to touch one more point on it, is human beings are not of a conveyor belt. So they are. 90% of students are very much the same. They look the same, walk the same, talk the same, smell the same, dress the same, eat the same, do exactly the same things. Right? They are boring human beings. And then you hire the people who are so different and so alternative that they're not, easy to they're not easy to handle, in a sense. They're not palatable to everybody. But they are unique, they are dynamic, they're creative, they're intelligent, they've got something to say for themselves, they're opinionated whether right or wrong, and they're able to contribute something that the generics of the conveyor belt aren't. The generics of the conveyor belt are what I call content consumers. They go where the wind blows. That human capital that you get, you want to have the potential to make them great broadcasters, but you want them to be somebody who from a 
from a point of view of their personality makeup, is an interesting human. A non-interesting human, don't want to touch them, right? But what comes with that is the challenge of then working with that person in a voluntary space, because that person won't just take your word for it. They won't just do what they're told. You have to show them how to do it. Yeah, okay. I'm going to move on and hand over very shortly here. These things are all interconnected, right? Just to quickly touch, the license is the one thing that kind of does hamper us a bit because you are what you can do in terms of your actual broadcasting content is determined in large part by your license. So for us, we're licensed in English. Now a lot of my presenters are like, I'd like to switch languages. So the license conditions say you can't. How do you get around it? Well, you train them to translate. You train, do your part in whatever language you wish to do, but make it so that somebody who's listening who doesn't understand it would still be able to understand the conversation. And your community obviously feeds your talent, feeds your listeners. It all is interconnected, right? And this is where MFM has an interesting way of managing, well, leading their volunteers, as I put it, managing, as they had it, um, their volunteers. And this system is particularly interesting. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that now I'm going to hand over to Shrita and she's going to tell you about it. It's a, yeah, you can talk more about it. Let's, um, let, let's open up that. Uh, okay. Um, right, so before we start, while they're getting it ready, the reason I have this, that my iPad in my hand is just because my whole thing that I'm talking about, talking on a point system, which I'm going to talk about in my hand, um, I don't know the whole thing by heart. Right, so um, why do we work? You can just uh, slide there. Okay, so we, I'm going to start, I'm going to briefly mention how we work. Um, how we work. So we have a three-month training program. Obviously, it's the same as um, pretty much, hopefully, most campus stations. And then we have a point system. So our three-month training program, um, we accept volunteers biannually. Um, they shadow presenters for 15 hours, so five shows. Then they produce for 39 hours. Then they have... Then we teach them how to compile news. Um, we have people from EWN who comes in and teaches them. So the exact same way that EWN all over the country does their news, that's the way that we do our news. Um, we teach them about how to use social media. It's also part of the contract that they sign. We teach them how to, do, um, how to write ads for in case they want that skill. We give them voice training, obviously. So that's just the normal start. So that's how you would start. Okay? So Mike mentioned that the average turnaround is between one year and maybe three years, maybe four years if, you're, if you stick around long. Um, my average, I think the shortest, I have people that leave after six months, but on average they stay for about three to five years. Um, yeah, the most of them actually work in commercial spheres while working at MFM still, so they do both together. Obviously they just get paid for the one and not the other one, um, aka mine. All right, so when they're finished with training, we pr provide them with the opportunity to take on more responsibility. Yes, we call them sub-managers. Um, we have quite a few positions, so, and I'll explain the reason for this now. There's one more. Okay, so we have a marketing coordinator, community coordinator, a music compiler, a tech co coordinator, station producer, um, news editor, and sports editor. So how, what happens is we are five managers, um, then we... Every single year this gets chosen. So you can stand for this position. It's not a paying position. It's just something that you decide you want to do and to take on. So um, this is a presenter, but on top of this, because we believe, I'm, I'm a very firm believer in there's no, just, no such thing as only a presenter, okay? What's going to differentiate, um, what's going to separate you from another presenter is going to be what other skill sets you have. So that's where this comes in. And all of them, below them, have a team of six people that they then look after. Okay, so we teach them pretty much how to be leaders from the start. Um, okay, point system. This is actually what I'm getting into. Right, so this is a very interesting thing. So we, yes, we pay our weekday presenters, but no one else. Okay, so volunteers, basically, what happens is when you start at MFM, you get 100 points. Okay, the reason, I'm going to explain a bit more on that. The reason you have a, um, we have a point system is it's a bit of a barter system. Okay, so it's a way for us to manage um, the this, this situation. It's a bit of a, it's a checks and balance um, as well. Um, so, oh, there is some money in it. Oh, it's not there. Um, if, <laughs> it's if you carry on. Um, if you have the most points at the end of the month, you get 3,500 Rand cash as well. 
Okay, so we do have some cash that we've put aside every single month for this thing. Now, okay, you might ask me now, what is this point system? So it has four categories. Okay, it's divided into meetings, programming, other, and series. Okay, um, every single staff member, management included, is on this point system. So all of us are accountable to this. Okay, right. So let's start with the easy ones. So if you don't show up for a meeting, it's minus 500 points. Um, if you are late for a meeting, it's minus 250 points. You'd think these things are supposed to be easy, but we've all even just today. Um, how late people are for events and things like that, okay? So the idea is to teach them from the start to be punctual. Okay, so programming, when it comes to programming, I actually had an incident where someone went out on a smoke break recently. But anyway, so if you smoke while you have a show, it's minus a thousand points. If you have your cell phone on, yes, we have a no cell phone policy because unfortunately young presenters, their minds wander and they go all over the, all over the place and it influences the way they sound. So minus a thousand five hundred points if you have your phone on in studio. There was a couple more that I wanted to mention. Let me just put this thing on again. With regards to programming. So it's, it's easy stuff. So it's things like um, incorrect labeling of things. Um, we have a guest book. So if you don't sign the guest book, that's minus 500. If you play the same song twice in a row, that's 1,000 points because obviously that's really bad. Um, yeah, if you move or delete a song, that's 1,500 points. So there's a lot of stuff like that as well. Okay. Um, okay, so other, that is, I think that first one is, hmm, what did I want there? Um, oh, that's if you replied, if you reply mm, late don't to reply an email, to email, that's wrong. If you, don't, if you reply right late to an email, um, it's minus 350. If you don't reply to it, it's actually minus 500 points. Um, so it's things like that as well. Because remember on the other side of things, think why this was brought in as well as, we sit on a daily basis. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. So if you don't reply to me, you're making my job more difficult because now I have to um, go and find you and figure out what happened, why you're not replying to me. You're wasting my time in essence, okay? Hence, this kind of stuff. Um, the other stuff that's under other are stuff like, um, there's promos and there's videos, um, there's prep sheets that they need to fill in if they don't, Oh, that first one's RSVPing. That's actually what that was. Okay. Um, not submitting your blog on time, minus 350. So it's, it's all the basic day-to-day -day things that if you're in a commercial sphere, you'd expect them to do. Um, it's just we put this on a point system. Okay. Serious. So if you swear on air, it's minus 1,000 points. Um, obviously, we're talking there's different kinds of swearing, but yeah. Um, if you brand minus a thousand points, obviously, because you're cost costing me money, okay? Or you're giving it away, rather. Um, other stuff under serious was things like not adhering, not adhering to the script requirements, using our resources for personal use, theft, it's a big one, that's, that's a suspension or dismissal, obviously. Um, borrowing our equipment, not wearing MFM clothing, destruction of property, incorrect referral to our name. Um, there's a lot of stuff like that that's also in it. Okay, consequences for losing your points. If you're a weekday presenter and you lose your points, um, you'll get a warning, okay? And if it happens again, it's a written warning, and then if it happens again, you go to an external um, hearing, okay? Weekend and standing presenters are a bit different. Keeping in mind, my weekday presenters are contracted through the University of Stellenbosch. They all have a one-year contract. They get cash as well, okay? So the system is a little bit differently for, different for them. My weekend and standing presenters, um, if they go into zero or below zero, it's two weeks suspension um, the first time it happens. The second time it happens, it's um, a warning. If it happens again, you're fired, okay? With that, when you come back from suspension, they go onto a, a monthly or a one month long four to six in the morning training slot. So the, the morning glory slot is what we call it um, for a month so that we can see that they're actually still committed to the station, okay? So we're, we're very strict in that sense, I have to say that. Um, yet I still have... 65 presenters, so. Um, okay, so added incentive, as I've mentioned, um, 3,500 Rand. You think um, that's not the only thing they work for, and that's correct. We all get stuff for free at radio stations, okay? We all get tickets, we all get CDs, we all get whatever it is. How it works with us is, if anything is given to you on your show, you need to declare it, okay? And then we sell the stuff for points, because um, the way we see it is you're only on the show where you are because we put you there, so you're not automatically liable to all that stuff or to, take, to keep it all. Oopsie. What am I doing? I keep pressing this thing. Um, but in any case, so 
Um, yeah, so, but there's, so there's other stuff as well. You get points for, doing, to help, for helping us with production work. Also, if there's a paying client involved, you'll get cash for it. Um, for voiceover work, again, either points or cash, depending on what there's involved. MCing work, DJing work, um, helping with any of the setups if you write reviews for us. Um, we have a, what's called an MFM press, if you're involved with that. Um, if you fill in for shows, you get 500 points per show. Um, if you attend functions, um, so there's a lot of stuff that you can get points for, okay. It's, it's actually, it's quite difficult for you to land in the red unless you're really, not really interested in being there. Okay, um, that's pretty much the point system in a nutshell, like in five minutes. So the interesting thing is, right, I admire the point system, but in my world, I deal with bureaucracy on a daily basis. And I could never manage a point system like this. So I credit MFM for their ability to manage it. I like it, admin. It's fine. But it would, you know there's a stereotype, but we won't get into it. Um, it would blow my mind, having to dock and add and subtract. So I tend to have a slightly less formal process. It's very clear. Make sure that every single person working in the organization knows what they've got to do, why they've got to do it, and how it feeds into the bigger picture. By understanding that, if you don't, are then not able to deliver or don't deliver, you're then held accountable according to a disciplinary code, right? We tend to take the approach of corrective before punitive. So you can make some serious mistakes in my world. Uh, we've had a number. Uh, to share a few funny ones, we had a staff get-together. A couple of guys got a little tanked. And one of our presenters stood up and decided in the middle of his pass out at the station to do this live on camera in the middle of the office. Then he zipped it up and went back to sleep. Right? Now, in, in a lot of organizations, that would have been a, an immediate dismissal. Right? So a lot of people would be like, oh, this guy must get out of there. There were members of my staff who were like, this guy must be fired, it was, it's disgusting, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And oh no, what camera what is that? Was it something that only you guys saw? Oh no, it was on the video saw? footage. I have the security oh. cameras of the guy like, getting up. So where, like, and then, and go back to sleep. And the interesting thing about this is that, now, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that goes right. People, people are young, people make mistakes, and people have the opportunity to learn from those mistakes. So the disciplinary code says, fire him. My staff, half of them say, fire him. The other half are laughing and wanting to turn it into a social meme that they can put up on the internet, right? So they want to take it and make a YouTube clip out of it, right? And I guarantee that YouTube clip, okay, besides the fact that we'd have to put something over that when the that comes up on the video, that particular video would have gone viral. There's no doubt about it. But what I decided to do was rather to pull the person in and have a conversation. Because we're dealing with human beings. We're not dealing with like, something that is a device. Where there's either a right or wrong, do this, do that. Have a conversation. Chat. Tell a guy, look buddy, I don't know what you do at home, but if you did that in your mom's lounge, what would happen? In front of your aunt or your uncle. You know what's going to happen. You get slapped. right? You're going to get kicked, drop kicked out of that house. Or you're going to have to clean it up. So what I did was make the guy clean it up, he got a warning, and we moved on with life, right? Happens. And we've had a lot of incidents like that, right? So have we. Silly things that people do, right? But we have conversations. And you can tell the difference between what I call a little shit and a person who's not a bad like, individual, but they've made a mistake. So mistakes, that's part of why we have a training space. Yeah, we want to run on commercial and professional things, but at the same time, this space has got to be fun. Because if you're dealing with people who aren't getting paid, it's got to be fun. You've got to be enjoying what you're doing, and you've got to foster an environment that creates a culture of positivity. Yeah, there's going to be issues. There always are. I mean, some of my guys are here, and they'll tell you. We had a huge issue over free tickets. Massive. You'd think it was the end of the world. Now, for me, who's being paid, I kind of look at it and go, this is like juvenile. I don't want to entertain this. And then I think about it. Hang on. If I'm not getting paid, the only thing that I have to get, besides being on air and getting skills, is that ability to go to a concert. And so when 
I just gave the tickets to someone. It's seen as a slap in the face for everybody else who goes, but why that person? Right? And it becomes a very big issue. And it becomes a big issue very quickly. And it becomes something where you're almost at the point where people are like, we are going on strike. Right? And it got to that stage. I'm going to be dead honest. It got to that stage where there was a whole group of people who are like, we are going to have a revolution. Anyway, we had a meeting. And what the meeting actually revealed was a system of how to manage that. So now you reply to an email that says there's free tickets available. If there are more people than tickets, we draw names out of a hat. If you are currently suspended on a disciplinary, haven't been doing your shows for the past month, or on a sabbatical, which happens um, in exam time, you can't go into the hat. If you were the last person to benefit, your name is held because you had an opportunity. So not quite as complicated, but it is a system that we've started about a what, year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, three years ago. It was, it was informal at first, and then we made it formal because with the actual policy, so that it's informed by policy. Because until that point, people weren't really taking it seriously. Sorry, just quickly, not to on interrupt, but just to mention what on that. Um, the reason why it works so well by us is because we don't have stuff like that. It puts everyone on the same level. So whenever we have anything to give away or that we give away, it's immediately understood. Um, it's like having money to pay for something or not having money to pay for something. So if you have the money, you'll get it. If you don't have the money, you don't. So I, I very rarely have cases where people would think it's unfair because they all feel like they're on the same level. They understand if they lose points, why they've lost, lost it or what they've done. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Like, these people know exactly what they're doing and they get away with a lot of stuff. I've been told I'm too nice with times um, because of with the way that we run. I don't run the point system, by the way. I have a personnel facilitator who does this. So this she does on a daily basis along with every, running, um, looking after the personnel, basically. Um, but yeah, so just wanted to mention that. Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I think one of the things is that People, are, people have got a lot of expectations in, a, in, a, in an environment where people are volunteering their time. And understanding those expectations is one of the key things. Because then you're able to identify how you channel them. And because time is running, and time's about to end, and we'll take some questions, if there are questions, these are kind of like the parting kind of tips to be, as we say, hashtag winning. <laughs> right? One is lead, don't manage. Like... I'm often the first person in and the last person out. Same with a lot of my management team, as they're officially called. Leadership team, if you want to call them according to the unofficial way. Um, and you'll find guys here at six leading the team, carrying the cables, plugging in the things. I don't have to do that. It's not in my job description. My job description is very bureaucratic. It's very boring. But I'll be here late at night. I'll be here early in the morning. Same with anyone on the team. Because giving something to someone who is giving you their time and helping them progress is what we're there for. And you have to genuinely be dedicated and passionate in this space. Because if you're not, your team is not going to do anything. They're not going to grow. They're not going to be good at what they do. Because why would they do it? Right? And that's where we say, like, you as a person who's in this space has to be really bloody good at what you do. If you're going to lead people, you can't not know what you're doing, right? I don't have all the answers, but I've got to damn well look as though I do, right? Or we and can I, find them. Or I've got to substitute and tag whoever does. So when certain situations happen and I don't have the skills, I've got to tag someone who does to take over that particular job. And the thing is that you've got to be able to let go. So I have to allow every single person to do what they can and make mistakes because that's the nature of the space. As much as sometimes you want to jump in and be like, no, like you're going to make them. You have to let them do it and then show them how it's done, right? And that's a very big difference between this space and a commercial space and volunteers and paid staff. Paid staff, I'm like, you bloody messed up. Here's your warning. Thanks for coming, right? This is your mandate, ABC, done, right? This, you have to be able to be really good, inspire others, educate them, get them to be really good and allow them to do it. And trust them to do it. And let them be. And that's where we come with this, where we say learn, share, create, have fun, nurture and mentor. And the mentorship element is the big thing. I'm not just the guy who runs a station. 
nor is she the person who just runs the station. I'm a counselor. First and foremost, I'm a counselor. I deal with everything from I'm about to fail my course to my boyfriend cheated on me three times with my best friend to I'm pregnant to I was raped to I was mugged three in the morning I'm at the hospital this is what's happening what do I do the cops want to arrest me like you become a life coach and that's part of what the space is and some people in some of these spaces are very much like my jobs this thanks for coming I don't want to talk to you cheers and that doesn't help so you end up being that. You end up being a counselor. Your job is more than just like running an operation. You're someone who needs to go out of what it is that you're comfortable with. I like tech. I can spend all day doing tech, right? Playing with gadgets, messing with systems, doing that side of things. But I have to be able to do sales. I have to be able to do music. I have to have a conversation with Sim, the compiler, and everybody who's under him and be able to have an intelligent conversation and that 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 is not an easy thing to do and i think that if anybody who's managing or be or running or working in voluntary spaces skill yourself as much as you can to be able to impart to others because that's that's one of the ways that you get things done sorry i'm just going to interrupt you there quickly um i think the biggest thing about being a station manager is we're literally a jack of all trades as bad as that sounds you have to. You need to pretty much know a little bit of everyone's job. He mentioned he, he's good at tech. I'm not, um, but I have a lot of people who can, and I've learned how to do the little bit of it, as I'm sure there's other things that um, you would have had to learn as well. So we all kind of learn just to do a little bit of everything to help put this whole thing together in order for this to work. And I think the thing that I suck at, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I'm a bit of a hard-ass, and I sometimes come across as if I don't appreciate people who work for me I, I like genuinely sometimes forget to be like like thanks you've done a great job right because I'm always on to the next thing because I'm always busy I'm always running I'm always trying to get this done and that done and I forget to go like actually that's a damn good job you did right there's other people on my team who are better at that than me right and that's something that's very important right it's something that I, I personally have to work on right and understanding the part I do get is this understanding the psyche of human beings, right? And how they tick. So knowing that, you know, like Neil there is a Liverpool fan, doesn't work for me, but I know that, right? So if I want to poke fun at him, I just have to find some content to do with Liverpool. It's not hard in the current context, by the way. Um, but I try to do that. This is, a, this, is a one, this is a key one, sharing information. One of the biggest problems in voluntary spaces is people make up, make up stuff. They... they they think things aren't happening. So I fired someone recently, and people thought nothing was happening with that person. They all thought this person's getting away with it because discipline and that type of stuff is done behind closed doors. And then suddenly the person was no longer there. And everyone's like, what happened to so-and-so? And you go, no, he's moved on to better pastures. But it's not just that. It's things like people want to know where the money goes. I, I sent, just two weeks ago, I sent my entire team the sales report and the finances. Why? Because it's public information. It's going to go to our board. It's going to be audited. It's going to be put out in a report. So giving people access to that information helps them to better understand the organization. So when I say we're behind sale on sales target, therefore we're not getting free shirts, or you're not getting free shirts printed by us. It's an important thing to do. And so the last I'm just going to interrupt you again on the share information thing. That is the most important thing that I learned, is to share information, but to be trans, um, transparent. There's nothing in my industry that you cannot ask me that my presenters cannot ask me it doesn't matter what sphere it's on any single thing that we're doing um i because we do an agm twice a year just for us where they they ask very difficult questions and we are completely open about money about anything that's happening in the station by us yeah you have to and then the last two quickly because i've done them create a positive environment and make time to have conversations and listen i would rather spend three hours of my day talking to my staff and work till 11 o'clock at night and send all my stuff out late at night then not have those conversations and I have problems. And that's it. Questions? Yeah. Cool. I don't know if there's a mic. I suppose we have to use this one, right? 
And then I don't know how we'll have to anyway. I have a loud voice. It's fine. Well, we'll, we'll share this. Where's this piece? <laughs> we'll talk into it. Um, hi there. So yeah. We we are currently sitting with a situation where we are running a station with all volunteers, but are a very new station and um, had to make some calls at the beginning where we just kind of took people because we needed people. Um, yeah. We started in February, so it's like we need people. And then we have a, a couple of dedicated people, some of whom are on air. Mm. And you start to realize this person is terrible on air. <laughs> and I, you try to do things to make it better, but <laughs> that you know like <laughs> the way that they speak, basically yeah. the way that they talk, is not going to work on air, but they're here every day. Yeah. They, you know, how, how, yeah. Yeah, how do you, because we obviously still want the guy to be around at the station. We'd love mm. to have him do other things. Mm. How do I get him out of presenting and into other sections of the radio without crushing him? I've had that a lot of times. Yeah. A lot of people. Um, do you know what else is good at? Have you tasted him? That's, that's the thing. We, we still would like to train him in terms of okay. editing and all that. In other fields, because what you do with someone like that is you don't focus on what they're bad in, you focus on what they're good in. So the more you're going to start focusing on what he's good in, he might realize himself that he's not so good on air and start moving towards that side. And if it doesn't happen, then at some point you sit down and be like, listen here, I, I think personally you're very good at this. There's a lot of job opportunities mm. in this, whereas the market is so common this way here, I think. Like, you just, it's just, it's just do it, not, but that's focus on the positives, not on the negatives. It's called a redirection. Yes. I mean, we've got a lot of people that uh, uh, they start in one area of the station and end up in a completely different one. Now, there's two reasons. One, they sucked at what we hired them for. Or two, they found out that that wasn't really what they wanted in the first place. The ones who find out that that's not what they really want in the first place is the easiest one to redirect. The one like you've got, they like, wanna, they're going to tenaciously hang on. So it, it's, it's a process. You've got to have conversations about it. And one of, the, one of the ways that you could do it, and it's one of the things that I've done, is that I will find someone who's in the industry who's not a, an arsehole, right, to have a conversation which will basically open the eyes to one other possibilities and to the fact that they're not really going to cut it. And that's a hard conversation to have, right? I, I do it sometimes with guys on, at, at my station, and I did it. In fact, I can use it as an example because she won't mind. The producer of the YFM Breakfast Show is a girl called Dumi. Dumi worked for us for a, a long time. She, were, she started as a producer and she went on air. She was okay on air. She had fun, she enjoyed herself, but she didn't have really what it took to be a, a presenter at a commercial level. Me and Larato, the program manager, had a conversation. And within a month, she was doing production again. Not at our stage, but she got an internship. And from there she was hired. So it, it, sometimes you have to be brutally honest. And it, and it does crush, but people also need to reflect. And the thing is that you're doing someone a disservice by not being honest. But you don't have to be an asshole about it. Like, you can be nice. You can say, you've got to sit there and have a chat. Find, and, and as she says, redirect them. Find out what they're good at. And see what their interests are, and then get them to do other things. How's it, guys? Chris. Uh, I just it's, I want to pick your brains about this because um, I'm doing radio for 13 years, but in the past three years specifically, um, actually three to five years, been been lecturing and training as well with uh, Mike over there with Boston, yeah. but then also moved into three different spaces of training and development. So, mm. um, developing ag academic material for obviously the the tertiary institutions, and then teaching our guys that are you know obviously doing three-year degrees or, or three-year diplomas, right? Then I've got then I've got um, a different space where we're working with uh, obviously now I want to speak from entering in at a community level. So I got privatized training and then mentorships, which are not just mm. fly by night. You know how you always see guys, yeah. oh, you know, we, we have a masterclass, two, uh, two and a half thousand rand, come on a weekend, and, and you mm -hmm. know, we'll see you guys later. And it's not been that. I, I continuously mentor guys from, that come from the teaching profession, accountancies, mm. you know what I'm saying? Mm. A real talent that comes in and out mm. and then obviously moves into the space yeah. of online and community. So now I've got the, the students here. We've got obviously the guys from completely outside the industry. And then we've got obviously Obviously, got the guys where it's like, like you say, like the, the guys you picked off of this, off, uh, off campus. You know, what I'm mm. saying have absolutely no experience whatsoever. Mm. Take them, take them directly. You know, what I'm saying onto a station platform, and I and I train within stations, right? Mm. So um, young presenters from commercial to community to obviously mm. online, uh, I grab them if they've got talent. Now, my problem is is I'm not I'm not lying at all. I just want to mm. be able to know the the, the proper advantages. Of, of why, why each one has an advantage of learning 
and getting into a, a community station, should I say, an upper hand. That's what I'm saying to you. It's like an upper hand because they all come from three different spheres. So you're sitting with our, with, our, with our students, let's say, that have three-year diplomas. I've got privatized courses that I run maybe for three months or mm. a couple of weeks or online, like I said, ongoing uh, mentorships. And then I've got the guys that are already in the industry that are taking basically, uh, I would say, their own sort of private time mm. with their talent and then yeah. growing talent as it is. Mm. So um, just to pick your brains in, on each, each one of those those you know, like if you if you're talking to these guys all the time, hmm. why they do have an upper hand within the industry by getting a little bit more learning, by keeping themselves a little bit sharper, then you know, like I entered Tux and I was doing computer science. I had not, I generally was cuck on air hmm. um, for a long time before I decided that you know I'd grow and develop within the station itself. Hmm. You know, and so it, it just so happened that I, that I made it somehow in radio for for enough time, hmm. but. Um, the, edu the educational aspect, I'm saying, you know, the training aspect, what would you say to each one of these guys as, as having an upper hand? You know, I, I, I'll, be yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, you can, you can talk and say, like, for me, often the guys who are studying it are really crap at it. I know, the thing is, we yeah. do have, sometimes we do have classes and of 80 and there's six guys that can be on-air presenters. Yeah. But then others who can't. But then we have no, but then we have seventy two guys who could who could quite possibly and fairly be mm. um, producers, marketing, yeah. sales. The thing is, like we're obviously creating a real, mm. we want to create realistic. Um, yeah. They need to be trained in that. Right. The only sphere where you can't tell them they have an upper hand because they have this diploma thing is for on air. Yeah. Because right. either you have the talent or you don't. I take people in that's literally from the street who's mm. yeah. Like okay, very good example. Nick Hammond on five now. Right. Okay, I came in. Um, the first time I heard that guy, he had absolutely no experience whatsoever. Yeah. My first interview with him, I was like, dude, you're going to go very far. Yeah. Three months later, people started wanting to pick him up. He, he just had natural talent. Where yeah. he and I have guys who have been there for five years, yeah. want mm. to do anything, they just won't have. You see... Uh, yeah, I think for on air, yeah. for on air, all that all that a, that a, that a space like ours does, or a space like you know, that you that you have can do, is is sharpen their ability to to take their natural talent and and and, and focus it. But I think I think this is what I'm asking. Is like, do you? I know that obviously you have mandates and stuff from the varsities mm. or whatever it may have been. I understand that from from a community perspective. Mm. Do you take that into account and say, listen, yeah, let's uh, let's say they come to a community station, right? Mm. I'm I'm Brad, whatever it is, and I've had I've had let's say privatized training. Do you take that into account and say, well, listen, yeah, I would then have to have to test them, or do you say, well, I mean, listen, yeah, there are too many people that do take a chance uh, on these guys that are trying to get into the industry. Do take the name of like training and development a little bit through the mud just to make a couple of extra bucks, and then I mean, do you take it seriously? In other words, well, you when you when somebody's been trained, you always look at it and go, ah, okay, they've taken initiative to get skilled in whatever they want to do, okay, right? Cool. So you do yeah, look at it like sure. that, and then what you do is like so. For example, um, Smash is going to be doing that speed dating later, right? Smash was at Kofsi. That's where he started his career, right? Couldn't get in in a commercial space. Came to Voice of Vits. All I had to do with that guy was sharpen him. He, he's got the, you'll see, bounces off the wall, right? Creative, mad crazy, right? All I had to do was sharpen him, right? And then ship him out. It was that simple. At, but the thing is that when he arrived, he didn't just walk in to breakfast because he'd been at Goffsey. I put him on graveyard. He had to go through the process. He had, to be, he had to sit in front of a panel. He had to do a voice test. He had to go through the six-week training program. He had to go on to graveyard. Then he went into breakfast, and then he left. So, so I, just because the, what I did is I went, ah, he's sharp, but he still has to go through the, the yeah. system. Yeah. Um, so you do take it into account. And, and, and I think anybody who's recruiting at any level, if somebody's shown that initiative to skill themselves, you kind of go, yeah, actually, let me give them a time of day.
Um, all right, I've, I've got two very distinct problems, and, it's, and both of them come down to motivation. Um, the, the radio station that, that I am the programming manager for, what we do is we take people who are not radio people, or if they are radio people, they, they had a stint at Tux, and then they, came, they, they come and they work at, uh, at mm. us, or they were at TUT or whatever it is. In the last six months, I've had six people leave to go to commercial radio stations, and I've had, and I've had to fire two people as well, um, because they're just not motivated, because they've got a full-time job, and, 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 and. So if you look at our turnover, we're almost at student level, and mm. the underlying issue here is motivating. And I, mm. I like to think that I'm a very motivating kind of person. But how do you motivate somebody with a full-time job to stay at a job that they're not going to get paid for? Yeah, okay. Um, there's, a, there's a simple thing. If you have a full-time job... Do I'm, I have one? I'm gonna, no, I'm saying if oh. a person has a full-time job, my first thing to them is, this is what I require from you. Right? Just from a time perspective. Before we even begin training, before they even get hired, because most of them, when they realize what it is in terms of time, they then realize that they can't do it. Because a lot of people have this unrealistic like, perception of what they can do. They think they're like these superhumans. And they've got a full-time job, and then they think they can still come and do a, a Monday to Friday nighttime show. Right? And the reality is they can't. And I will not hire someone who's got a full-time job and is trying to do something for me unless, if it's Monday to Friday, they can do weekends. But it's actually detrimental to the organization. Because they're never part of the structures and they never engage with anybody else who works there. So they become these aliens that nobody knows and they don't exist within the brand. So I don't waste my time with, with full-time people. If you want to do it, do it. If you've got a full-time job, maybe you need to get a more flexible job so that you can dedicate your time to my space. Because I've got to train you, I've got to develop you, and I've got to motivate you. How do I motivate someone who's never there? Who just comes in to do their show? Like, you can motivate them. Don't get me wrong, you can. I'm just playing another side of it. Like in yeah, my space then, specifically. And then we I don't like take time if we fire people. them because they're not there. Okay, I'm, I'm going to interrupt yeah. here. My news editor works full-time, nine to five, weekdays, okay? Andy reads news every weekend on air because he really wants to be on air. He just can't quit his job because he needs cash, okay? So I think if someone, the big thing for us is we get rid of the people who don't really want to do it in that three-month training program. Mm. It's very intensive. So half of the people that we, are, or that we get in fall out in that training program, and the other mm. half really wants to do it. So this guy that I have, that <laughs> does, that's my news editor, comes in every single day in his lunch hour. He's there every single day before work, after work, um, every weekend. He's very hands-on. I have probably have like 10 hours from him now because he wants to do it. Your thing is to remember is people are different. Yeah. People are motivated in different ways. I mean, we've got guys who are like that. Um, so we've got a guy who works, he works with the tech team. He works for MoneyWeb and then he works for us in the morning. But it's very clear. This is what you need to do. There's a six-week training program. Most of the guys who are working full-time jobs don't make it out of that because the reality bites home. So I hired three who had jobs at the beginning of this year. Only one is left. The rest are all gone because they can't commit the time. So that training program weeds them out because there's tasks and there's things and objectives that they have to reach even around that schedule. Come in at night, do it. So they generally weed themselves out. So the guys who are motivated will do exactly what she's saying. They, they will keep at it and they'll do it. So you do take a risk, but I only take a risk when someone's got a full-time job if they really stand out. Because why am I going to deprive someone who's a first-year student at the university or a first-year at another institution or a young person in the city an opportunity to be on commercial or campus radio when you know, there's this person who's working? I would rather take the young person over this person who's working, unless this person is incredibly, like, talented or adds something of great value to the space. Look at the community sector and the campus sector have been feeders for commercial radio for as long as they've been yeah. around. And, I mean, if you look at commercial radio today, the majority of mainline people either in, on air and behind the scenes come from a community and, and campus background. Mm. And where we work in commercial radio, our shareholders, they want to, they're juniorizing labor, meaning they're getting youngsters in and paying them trash. Yeah. Uh, and they're casualizing labor, which mm. means you really just get a one-year fixed-term contract yeah. or what they call a, a, a casual content provider, mm. and you're on the books. Mm. And what I'm seeing, especially within groups like Kahisa and, and Prime Media, is that you'll have people who get paid a lot, people who get paid nothing, and there's nothing in the middle. It's mm. a crisis. Yeah. I mean... 
as much as everyone wants yeah. to get into the commercial sphere, what I'm saying is, is two things. Mike, you mentioned <coughs> the football analogy. Yeah. <coughs> so I can't afford to put more people on the payroll. Yeah. But I can't afford to pay people what they call uh, an occasional contract, like a series, a 13-part series, or yeah. uh, be like a stringer or a, contrib mm. a contributor. And that's off the salary schedule. That's in the operational budget. Mm. So looking at all the work that community does generally, I've heard some really good stuff. I mean, mm. it's, I, I, I follow your podcast a lot yeah. around the science and the technology stuff, around your social justice stuff. Yeah. And they're really good. They really are good. And I think there's two opportunities here. One is to make your presenters, your producers into content providers. Yeah. So they could sell their stuff through you or independently to a myriad of radio stations mm. who are crying out for content. Mm. And obviously it's got to meet a certain quality standard, be, be fitting with the demographic of, of, of our station. Yeah. You have the facilities and the, the kind of head mm. for steam to approach stations with those ideas <laughs> saying, we can offer you X part series, this, that, mm. whatever the content is, either in short form or in long form. The second thing is, you've got these, these pools of talent mm. and it's almost like you become an agent for yeah. the next generation of producers yeah. and, 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 no, but seriously, you'd be yeah. like a, you'd be like a, a personnel agency. If the guy gets hired, the station's got to pay you 15% of their gross annual mm. salary because you did all the hard work. Because what's happening, we're coming into your situations and yes, you, people do come through, but like you say, mm. people do stay for a long time, some of them. But to use your, all, all the hard work you guys have done mm. to actually capitalize it in, 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 in a way. So if you know you've got a brilliant person you sent me some demos a, a couple of weeks ago. I was really impressed with three that, like, that I got. Is that there should be some kind of system internally at stations that earmark the best people, not just on air people, mm. but producers, technical people, newsreaders, writers, etc., mm. and 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 pitch them to stations. Mm. So trying to you know get people to start producing content externally, yeah. not for your purposes, but, but for the other for other yeah. stations, and then also trying to capitalize on 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 all the tra training that you've done within the organisation. And I think it's interesting you say that about the content side of it because the future of the way the industry is going to move is going to be very content focused. And especially with the online spaces, being able to provide content that people are willing to consume and pay for is a critical way of them being able to earn a living. But I, I just think. see this, this, this casualization and this mm. juniorization. Mm. Is that, I mean, in, in America since 2008, broadcasting, radio broadcasting lost 27% mm. of their positions in stations. Mm. So besides being program manager and the music manager and being on air mm. and doing production, I mean, that's under threat. So people are going to be multi-skilled, multifaceted. Mm. Um, I can't expect that for a person who's been in radio for five minutes. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, even now, we have things in our board pack that go profit per employee. So if you have a knockout month and you <laughs> do super profits, the profit per employee is acceptable t t to the board. But the moment you start being under target or under budget, Cut then they're going to go, you've got too many people mm. in the station, yeah. start cutting heads. Mm. So what I'm saying is the industry, the commercial industry, is not building jobs. We're mm. actually cutting back on yeah. jobs. And so the, to, to try and find it, yes, and I can moan about it and you know, mm. whatever, but, but trying to find better ways of getting content that I can pay for but off the salary sheet. Yeah. And, and the money is there. I mean, we yeah. pay stringers. In Africa, we pay stringers in all the provinces for news. Mm. We're paying people to do stuff for us that we can't get to, like outside yeah. Joburg. So the money is there, but we need people to engage with us on a point of, and, and what I'm saying is you could become a, a conduit for that for type that. of stuff. Mm. Um, and I don't know, like the NCRF would be, but you're doing different stuff with, with yeah. presenters and producers. And, and, and no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that it, there is an opportunity there. Definitely. 100%. But I mean, what we've done with the guys in terms of the talent, you know, that thing where they constantly take talent and you feel like you're being kind of bent over the table, is we went to the Kahisos and the prime meters and said, right, you've been taking our talent. So now this is what we want to do in order to get it. So they weren't willing to pay for it, obviously. Um, but what we did do is we structured those internships. All I can say is this, is under the new Labor they Relations Act, yeah. as well as within the new BE codes that, that have been changed, stations have to tick these boxes. Mm. And ultimately, it's, it's a compliance issue now. So, I mean, if you look at an entry-level salary, that's mm. 10 grand, um, and they've got to pay you 15% of that. I mean, I'm talking about in terms of what agencies do, mm. placement agencies. And you can cut a deal with as many stations as you can. Yeah. And I don't think, 
because it's a compliance issue now. They, they mm. only think twice. Mm. Some stations, I mean, that I know of, under the new codes, have gone from B3 to BE8. Mm. It's far more stringent now. Mm. You've really got to go and do supply that. Supply chain, that's enterprise. Mm. This is planning and development. So, yeah. uh, top of mind, sitting where I am, this thing about um, you can't employ more people, but they want more content. I'm trying to find mm. creative ways to get around that. Mm. Actually, so and also to give up younger voices a, a better platform. Mm. Cool. I think that's a good thing. If there are no more, if there are no more questions, let's get something to drink. Let's go chat, continue conversation.